All right, guys, so here's the deal. Before we get started, I gotta let you guys know, there's gonna be some very difficult things that we're gonna talk about this morning. It may make you uncomfortable, it may make you uneasy, but it's okay because it's in God's word and we have to discuss these things. It's important for you to know, okay? So I want you guys to prepare yourselves and let's get ready to do this, amen? Amen. Okay. Starting in verse 16, we're going to read down to verse 26. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, disassensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning just to thank you for your wonderful word, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive all that you would have to tell us, to tell me, to tell my little brothers and sisters in here. May your spirit be glorified. Take me out the way, Lord, and may you have your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you guys have heard those scriptures before? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you guys have read those scriptures on your own before? Okay. That's good. So in order to understand where we are, and where we're going in this study, you have to know where we've been and where we're coming from. To get a grasp of what's going on in the text, we got to backtrack it a little bit, okay? So for starters, Paul the Apostle, you guys know who Paul is. I don't have to explain that to you, do I? Okay, good. Is the author of this book. And in chapter 1, verse 2, if you guys want to turn there with me. He specifies who the audience is by stating to the churches of Galatia in the introduction of the letter. So we know from that statement this letter was written for more than one church. So I don't want to get into too much details about timeline and confuse you guys, but Paul and Barnabas, the apostle who served with Paul, were appointed by God through the voice of the Holy Spirit, saying, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them to share the gospel and plant churches in Acts chapters 13 and 14. So this specific area that we're talking about, this region, were places in Galatia, which we now know as modern-day Turkey in Europe. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So back in chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 6, Paul addresses the churches because they were turning away from Jesus to a different gospel that was preached to them after he and Barnabas already shared the truth in Jesus, which they received by faith and adopted that faith as their own. So going through verses 7 through 9 in chapters 1, Paul states that if anyone, including him and Barnabas, and to include angels, 
preaches any other gospel contrary to the good news of Jesus Christ, let that person, let those people, even that angel, be accursed. That word accursed, it means to be doomed, separated from Christ, with no hope of redemption, cursed, and all of the above. So you have to understand the severity of what that means. Paul is saying if anyone tells you anything other than the salvation through Christ and Christ alone, let him be cursed, be doomed, and separated from Jesus. So what other gospel is Paul talking about that these churches in Galatians have turned away to? So these Jewish teachers taught the believers in this region that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, which is the Old Testament law. So the first four chapters of this book, Paul is explaining the fault in the doctrine of the Jewish teachers that no one, no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And that by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So in the beginning of chapter five, he talks about the liberty or the freedom the Galatians have in Jesus so that they understand they're not bound by the law. They're not in bondage to the law, but rather we know that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled the law. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, don't think that I came to destroy, destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. The contrast is that we don't use our freedom in Christ as an opportunity to sin against one another or to sin, period. He says in chapter 5, up in verse 13 through 15, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. He says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that sound familiar to you guys? But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Well, Paul is saying just because we're free from the penalty we deserve by Jesus' fulfillment of the law, it doesn't mean we get to do whatever we want, say whatever we want, or act however we want. God has called us to serve one another as a body through love. As Paul quotes the second of the two great commandments, the first being, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I know that sounds familiar to you guys. Who said that? Jesus did. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, live any longer in it. So now we get to chapter 5, back in Galatians, verse 16. And it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Jesus said to the disciples in John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. 
I will come to you. So what does that mean for us, for the believer? You've been given a new life in Jesus. God has placed his spirit in you, and he will change you. He has changed you if your faith in him is genuine. And God's command is for each of you to bear fruit worthy of repentance. A mind that is set on the things of the spirit, it's life. It's peace. The beautiful thing is Paul gives us the blueprint of what that actually looks like here in these verses. So he's telling us as believers we must walk in the spirit and we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Guys, you got to understand there's a legitimate war that's taking place within us. You can read about it in James chapter 4. The Holy Spirit that lives in us against the sinfulness of flesh. Our sinful bodies that the spirit actually lives within. That word lust, it means desire, craving, a desire for what is forbidden. A life in the flesh, fulfilling the lust of it, it's a life controlled by your body's appetite. You guys ever walked in a restaurant and you smell the food and you're like, man, I wish I could eat that right now because that smells good. Has that ever happened to you? How about you see a commercial, Super Bowl, right? And they got all this nice looking food on the TV and you're like, man, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. It's the same thing with your flesh. Your body is craving sin. And unfortunately, you become your own God when you fulfill the lust of it. Verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. The NIV says, For the flesh desires what is contrary, what is opposite to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict, in battle with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. This is a huge emphasis of what Paul already set up in verses 13 through 15. Don't let the fact that you're not bound by the law give way to the flesh, to sin. Again, the believer can't say or do whatever he or she wants. You can't act however you want. Our flesh, our deceitful emotions, as we are led by them, our impure thoughts are in conflict with the Spirit. The Spirit convicts us of sin in our lives so that we do not do the things that we wish. The things our sinful bodies crave for because they are opposite of the Spirit. They do not align with what God has called us to do through his word. So that as we continue and we go down to verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The believer is no longer held to or bound by the law because of faith in Jesus' sacrifice for the remissions of sin. And in order to be led by the spirit, you must be born again. We know that, right? I'm sure we've heard that term before. Okay, so the non-believer, the one who walks in the flesh, is held to the law. Why? Because of their unbelief. So God has to judge them, he or she, according to his righteousness, according to his perfection, his holiness. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so what Paul is saying is that if you are led, if you are directed by the Spirit, you are not obligated to the law. 
Paul is making such an emphasis that his brothers and sisters in Christ in the churches located in Galatia aren't bound by the law because our salvation rests solely in the finished work of the cross. The Bible says we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. So we have no ability to boast in our works. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to tell the churches of Galatia because of what they were being taught by the Jewish teachers. We can't boast in our good deeds because we will never live up to the standard of complete perfection in the eyes of God. It can't happen. So Paul wanted them to know what they were hearing from these teachers, it was wrong. We can't work for salvation. We cannot do the works of the law for salvation, and that's what he's trying so desperately hard to relate to them, to us, so they, we, are not deceived. Verse 19, this is where it's going to get tough, guys. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. Notice Paul says works of the flesh, which expresses and speaks of something you have to work to do. Physical actions, effort, these actions are evidence of a life in the flesh. So as we go through adultery, which is sex with someone other than who you're married to, Jesus said, even if you look at someone with lust, lusting after them, you have already committed adultery. Fornication. Sex outside of marriage. Sexual pleasure and gratification outside of the confines of marriage. Pornography. Looking at things online that you shouldn't be looking at. Sending messages you shouldn't be sending. The things you do behind closed doors, your parents may not be able to see it, but Jesus does. And that's something that you got to think about. Uncleanness. Impure, unclean in thought and life. This word usually is associated with sexual impurity. Lewdness, vulgar, dirty, sexual in an offensive and disgusting way and being proud of it. All of these sins directly correlate to sexual immorality as a whole. And the, word, the world tells you that these things are okay. The world tells you it's okay to practice a lifestyle that pleasures your own body. My body, my choice, they say. And for the believer, your body no longer belongs to you. As a believer, you have relinquished authority over your own body, and now it belongs to Jesus. And you must honor him by honoring it. To my young women in the room, nowadays, they teach you that it's okay to have multiple partners. They teach you that it's okay to step in bed before marriage. In the eyes of the Lord, that's wrong. They teach you that it's okay to be pregnant and to continue to be pregnant and have abortions. In the eyes of the Lord, 
That is wrong. These things signify female empowerment in the world that we live in. In today's society, the things that are good are bad. And the things that are bad, well, they're good. Just exactly as the scriptures teach. To my young men at school, for those of you that attend school, they say it's okay to watch pornography. They say it's okay to look at women in a disgusting way. They say it's okay to lust after women. Paying attention to their assets is what they say. In the eyes of the Lord, that's wrong. And quite frankly, it's demonic. And I feel for you guys, the stuff that you're exposed to on social media, it don't take much. It really doesn't. And if you don't spend time in God's word, you will stumble very hard. Sexual immorality is a direct blow to the institution of marriage that God has created. And it's a representation of his love for us as his bride. Remaining pure is very important for each and every one of you that's in this room. What you're exposed to, as we talked about on social media, what other kids in your age groups are doing, the garbage you can access online, it's distracting, it keeps you in bondage to sin, and it will destroy you. Verse 20, idolatry. Anything or anyone you put before Jesus, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your heart? Idols can be money, your car, many of you are probably driving by now, your phone, social media, video games. I remember someone you're attracted to, anything. What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your time with? And is it taking you away from spending time with the Lord? And it's crazy how all the sins we just went through up in verse 19 result, the end result is self-worship. If you think about it, all sexual sins do is gratify the flesh, fulfilling the needs of the flesh and the flesh alone. It's all about you. Idolatry is all about you. Why? Because you're worshiping what satisfies you. Your time is put into what you enjoy the most. And if that isn't Jesus, it will destroy you. Sorcery in verse 20. The use of administering or using drugs in association with witchcraft. Often found in connection with idolatry, tarot cards, readings, astrology. All of these things fall under the umbrella of sorcery. Crystals as well. That's huge in you guys' generation. That is a no-no. A no-no. Okay? Contentions. Always wanting to pick a fight. You got any hotheads in here? 
Patriot. Not you, Patriot. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. Outbursts of wrath, violent passion, vengeance, punishing anger. Someone who wants to take matters into their own hands. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Selfish ambitions. That's pretty self-explanatory. For the person, everything you do is for you. Your life revolves around you. What you want, how you feel, what your desires are, and it doesn't matter who or what the collateral damage is. Philippians 2 verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Ladies, each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. Pick up your cross daily. And if all we care about is our own interests, our hearts need to be checked. That's something you guys need to think about. Is life all about you? Or are you really seeking to esteem others other than yourself? Disascensions, standing apart. Divisions, which wrongly separate people. One who causes division and disunion, heresies, false teaching. There is also a lot of that. A self-chosen opinion, a belief or teaching that is contrary to the truth that we know in God's word. Heretical teaching, it can be subtle. It can be sneaky. It can be destructive. Envy. You want what they, whoever they are, have to the point where the feeling becomes so strong it makes you sour. It also expresses a sense of being glad when someone experiences misfortune or pain. And revelries, dirty, nasty, immoral, drunken parties. Many of you will go to college at some point. Many of you will physically go to college at some point. The reason we're having these conversations now is because that's exactly what takes place in many of these secular universities. That's what you need to pay attention to. Utilize the power of the Holy Spirit that you have to stay away from those things. Because as we talked about before, it will destroy you. Trust me when I tell you. So as we finish the verse, it says, And the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to make something very clear to you guys. Paul's not saying that as believers, we don't stumble into sin. He's not saying that if you wrestle with any of the following, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul is not saying that if you commit these sins, you cannot be saved. What he's saying is that if you live a lifestyle that involves these things with no regard, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He said those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we've all heard the expression, practice makes perfect. Yeah, well, it's perfected turmoil, perfected destruction, and perfected agony is what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, Paul says to the believers in Corinth, Do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, speaking of past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of our God. What Paul is saying is the believer who practiced those lifestyles before coming to the faith has been cleansed. Our righteousness rests in Jesus, and without him, we can do nothing to please God. He said, such were some of you. He said to those believers, some of you used to live that way. But our God is a redeemer, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Paul says the believer has been washed, sanctified, which means to literally be set apart. And justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by his spirit. I know from experience. I practice fornication. Lewdness, uncleanness, idolatry. Drunkenness, envy, stealing, covetousness. That was me. I lived that lifestyle. And I used to live that way before coming to know Jesus. And exactly what the scriptures teach regarding God's redemptive work is exactly what he's done in my life. My wife can tell you. But the flip side is the unrighteous, the non-believer, the one whose faith is not in Jesus, the one who is not born again. Those are the ones who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The willful sinner who has not received the free gift of salvation will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Notice, Paul says fruit. And before, when describing the flesh, he said works. Our growth in the Spirit is not a matter of our works. We must yield to the Spirit in order to bear his fruits. These fruits are the attributes of God, and it's natural. It's not something that you have to work to do. Love, not the love the world teaches. The abusive, harsh, ungodly, lustful, infatuation love. No, this is the love of God. The love that is sacrificial and can be experienced through a true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. A result of experiencing that love is joy. A joy that is undescribable and full of glory. As Peter said, the result of that love is peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. The wonderful peace that we have with God. Peace because you're no longer at war with him. You've surrendered it all to him. You're not fighting against him anymore. The scriptures teach there is no rest and there is no peace for the wicked. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 21 or 20 through 21 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mere and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't run from him. Don't fight him. Run to him. Embrace his love. Embrace his peace. Embrace his joy, because only he can offer it to you. 
in your hearts, when you've surrendered to him, peace with God, with God will give you peace with others. No more jealousy for what others have. No more rejoicing in the failures of others. Jesus is enough, and he becomes the source of your peace. Long-suffering, you become tolerant towards the flaws in others, not so judgmental anymore. Long-suffering, because of the love you have, it creates a gentleness, a calmness. You're not ready to blow a gasket all the time. The outbursts of wrath, they don't happen like they used to anymore. You've become gracious, patient. Just as God has been gracious and patient with you. Goodness, life is full of goodness. You don't do good things for recognition, but because it's your heart. Faithfulness, people can trust you. You keep your word. You show up when people need you. Gentleness, verse 23, the opposite of anger. Like the gentleness of a sweet old lady giving you a hug and kiss on the cheek. But she has to be a Christian, though, so just so you know. Because <laughs> if not, it doesn't apply. Self-control, verse 23, a life of moderation. You don't go overboard. You have the spirit as complete control of your life and everything that you do. These things become an effect of our relationship with Jesus. As we live in the spirit, are led by the spirit, these become the characteristics of our lives. They are evidence of our faith. Just as the works of the flesh are evidence of unbelief. Verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Back in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The flesh with its passions and desires, it must be crucified, guys. And sometimes crucifying the flesh is painful. It is. But it's necessary. It is. And it must be done daily. And the reality is your faith, your walk, your growth in the Lord, it has to be personal. Your parents and their faith do not have the power to save you. When you stand before the Lord and this earthly body is no longer breathing, mom and dad are not going to be with you. As they walk with the Lord, they're setting an example for you. But this walk with Jesus is between you and him. 
nobody else. So if you're dragging here on Sunday just because your parents are forcing you to be here, you got to understand what that means. It means you really need to examine yourself and see if the faith that you have is genuine or not. Your parents aren't perfect. People in the church aren't perfect. People who profess faith in Christ, guys, are not perfect. And sometimes, quite frankly, we can be hypocritical. That's just the reality of the circumstances. Why? Because nobody's without sin. You're going to be let down. You're going to be disappointed. But in order to stay rooted in God's promises, you have to have the right foundation. In order to look past the flaws of others, your house has to be built on the rock. You have to spend time in God's word, in prayer, and actively seeking to please him, and he will change your perspective to one that honors him. He's righteous. He's holy. And above all, he will never, ever fail you. Everyone else will. Everyone else can. But he won't. Therefore, verse 25. Stay with me, guys. We're almost done. Verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, or since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be sensitive to His voice in every step that we take. Let us be sensitive to His voice in every choice that we make. As we understand that His direction is found in His Word and His Word alone. Not in our own understanding. Not in what we feel, what we want. What we think. But in what has already been written. And we have it at our disposal. Verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So this is a warning. This is a warning for us not to be conceited in our walks. Not puffed up, not full of ourselves. Thinking that we're always right, we know more than others. And this leads to provoking one another, kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. You ever been in that situation before? Somebody just rubs you the wrong way. And you're like, man, I really don't like your face right now. But I know we've all been there. Kind of just irritating. Or envying one another. Resenting one another in any way. So basically what Paul's getting at, he's trying to make us understand that pride and envy, it's not of the Lord. And quite frankly, the Lord resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Big no-no. Doesn't work. Can't work. It's not supposed to work. So as we come in for a close, guys, this section of Scripture, it really really, really calls for us to examine ourselves 
May we really allow the Lord to search our hearts. And I need each and every one of you to sit and think about whether or not your faith in Jesus is genuine. And think about why you're here. Is it because of your parents? Is it because of a friend, family? Are you just going through the motions? You just come here on Sunday, leave, go back to doing what you're doing. Yeah, you guys are young. But when I got saved, I was 17. How many of you are 17 in here? Nobody? Man, y'all young. Anybody older than 17? Older than 17? Okay. If you're wrestling with sin, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, just as Pastor Jeffrey gave an opportunity for you guys to receive prayer for my women, there's women leaders in the back, for my men, there are men leaders that are here that can pray with you and for you. If there's anything in your life that's keeping you away from Jesus, it has to be dealt with and dealt with today because there's not a single one of you that can guarantee me that when you walk out of here and you get in that car to go home, that you'll wake up tomorrow or that you'll get home for that matter. And quite frankly, if there's anybody in here that wants to make that faith real today, been wrestling give us an opportunity to pray with you to pray for you I want every head bowed I want you guys to close your eyes let's pray Father as difficult as these things were to discuss to talk through your word is beautiful Lord your word is perfect and it's made for us to grow in our relationship with you, our walks with you. And I pray that if there's anybody in here, Lord God, that truly hasn't experienced your love, your mercy, your grace, truly isn't walking with you for whatever reason, whether it's because of a faith that is rooted in their parents, their friends, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would renew them this afternoon. I pray that they would come to receive you this afternoon, to be born again this afternoon, walking with you faithfully, Lord Jesus. I bring the hearts of my little brothers and little sisters to you this afternoon, Lord God, and I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that if they're wrestling with sin, any sin, that they would know that they can come to your throne of grace freely for you sympathize Lord with our weaknesses may they be blessed may they be strong men and women of the faith and may they surrender it all to you we love you Jesus we praise you and it's in your name that we pray amen mm -hmm.